0: Hi, my name is Kinsey and I'm incredibly fed up with the venture capital industry and the incentive systems that have ruled it for the past many decades. So today I'm doing an interview to talk about how we can change those incentive systems. I saw Adam Newman get a $350 million check from Andreessen Horowitz and frankly, it made me really mad because these systems just don't make sense. The fact that we are investing again in a repeat founder who has a track record for not being a good steward of capital suggests to me that something about venture capital today is not working correctly. So I interviewed Steph, who you are about to hear from. She is the founder and CEO of PIN, which stands for Power In Numbers. Um, It's basically a new alternative, a disruptor, if you will, to venture capital as we know it. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. Steph is just a marvel. She's incredible, she's so smart, so interesting, and I'm really excited to see what her business does next. So if you too are frustrated with venture capital, this interview is for you, and even if you're not, you should probably watch too. All right, roll the interview. So hello, Steph, and thank you so much for joining me today. When I found out about the work that you were doing, I kind of immediately felt like I needed to to hear it in your own words and to understand it and to have you here on Thinking is Cool. So I'm so excited to do that today. I think that before we get to all of that, some introductions might be nice. So let's start there. Would you mind Steph telling me and everybody listening to this a little bit more about who you are and what you do and why you do it?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm just as excited to share more about uh, my work at PIN and obviously of your audience and platform, so I'm really excited to share more. Um, so I'm staff. I'm the CEO and founder of Pin. Uh, it stands for Power in Numbers, and we're essentially a platform for any person or community to start an investing vehicle for their community members to invest together in startups. What makes this really different is that unlike a traditional fund, our clubs typically have hundreds of members, anywhere from you know, 50 to 400 members, which is very large for a vehicle like this. Um, And we also accommodate unaccredited members. So people who don't typically have the like 200K annual salary, $1 million in net worth, which is typically the bar needed to invest in startups. able to accommodate a much broader range and a much more inclusive kind of group of people which is really exciting for us
0: i want to just shed a little bit of light and give a little personal context on the notion of the accredited investor this is something i've run up against time and time again over the last couple of years of my career i've worked in and around startups for a couple of years now um, and with that people just kind of assume that you want to like be an investor too and i do i very much do I'm not an accredited investor, I'm nowhere near close to it, you know, and, and how many times I've had to have that conversation with people. And there's almost this like shameful admission of, well, actually, you know, my my net worth is not quite what you think it is. It's actually like a, a small sliver of that. Um, It it has been a real roadblock. And I imagine that so many people feel that way, especially with the democratization of so many other financial tools, whether that's investing, fractional investing, um, any number of like the Robinhoods, the Publix, all these kinds of apps that are democratizing finance in these new and thoughtful and incredible ways, uh, some of these areas of finance have not quite been democratized to their full extent or potential yet, which is why I'm excited to hear about what you're working on today. I should start off the bat here <laughs> with uh, another admission, which is that I specifically wanted to have this conversation because I've been feeling really frustrated about um, the the story of Adam Newman, um, which is a sentence that I have uttered time and time again (laughs) over the the last week or so. Um, Just the the fact that Andreessen Horowitz wrote a $350 million check to Adam Newman uh, has really forced me to start questioning some of the incentive systems, most of all, uh, within the venture space. And that's part of why I want to talk today, also because I think PIN is a really interesting concept and idea, and I just want to understand uh, the the motive and the motivation behind that. Um, But I think that's important context to also Establish here off the bat is that part of this conversation is in contrast to some of the um, traditional kind of like boys club ethos of venture capital. Um, So before we get into the the Adam Newman of it all, talk to me a little bit about how Pin is different from the traditional venture capital model.
1: Yeah, a lot of that resonates with me. Um, I actually started my career in traditional venture capital and. Um, it was actually my time there that really inspired me to double down on PIN. Um, PIN started as a personal need really when I went to grad school and a classmate of mine actually came to me and said, hey, we have a ton of classmates who want to invest together in our classmate startups. Um, is there some kind of way that we can do this together? And um, surprisingly, despite going to all the kind of existing fund administrators and existing companies out there that kind of create vehicles like this, no one was able to accommodate us. They were kind of more focused on traditional fund models. Um, And it was for two main reasons. One is that they said we had either too many people or two is because of that unaccreditation that we talked about where, you know, a lot of people have just been afraid of kind of touching this um, regulation for quite some time. Um, And that was like a huge bummer for us. You know, we were, I mean, Stanford GSB, like talk about like the most privileged and like educated people. And if it was hard for even this group to kind of get something like that together, it really kind of struck a chord with me that this is basically impossible for any kind of normal non-professional group out there. Um, So PIN was actually born from a year and a half of research um, custom legal work, et cetera, that we did to create this initial um, club for our class. Um, And we launched that in June 2020. Um, Since then, have kind of seen the full spectrum of that ranging from fundraising to actually deploying that capital, seeing how it's like really bolstered the communities, um, like social ties and professional ties with one another. Um, And seeing the momentum there, also getting a ton of inbound from other communities that saw that success and wanted to replicate it really is what inspired us to double down and create Pin into a full company so that anyone can essentially do this for a fraction of the time and cost. Um, And to your point, we're really hoping to change how, Venture is done today because I think um, by entering and creating kind of this new category of investment, I think naturally with any increased competition, um, people who kind of are at the top of the pyramid and who typically benefit from keeping the status quo the same will be finally incentivized to change and make differences in how they think about funding and, and founders.
0: Totally, and for a group of people who claim to place so much value in disruption, uh, they have have rarely been disrupted themselves, which I think is a, a really interesting reality here when we're considering venture capital and. As somebody who has worked in this space, uh, you know, in the the more traditional venture space, but also is now starting something that could become a, a major source of competition for venture funds that have existed for a pretty long time now. Tell me a little bit about what the competitive landscape is like in venture, who's competing with whom and and for what? I think I actually noticed this um huge difference amongst people
1: when we went out for our raise, because I think there's like 90% of people who really believe that. Uh, venture will be the same forever, which is like these institutional firms with traditional partners and general partners who basically make the decisions on who gets money and who doesn't, um, and that, as you know, you know, results in a lot of different issues involving, you know, um, you know, lack of diversity in funding, um, startups that probably should and deserve funding not getting the attention that they deserve um, because of these dynamics. And I know lots of people are tackling this problem in different ways, um, but I'd say ten percent of um, venture firms that we talk to. Um, We're really open-minded to the fact that we could be really disruptive, right? And I think they're starting to realize that especially looking at Web3 companies in particular, that there are very major projects out there that have for, completely forgone traditional venture investing, including a lot of Web3 projects that have gone straight to community members or have raised using NFTs or whatever it is, um, rather than going to traditional institutional investors. And I think that was a wake-up call for like those 10% of venture investors um, who actually saw what we were doing and saw a lot of parallels to what we're doing in regards to community building first. Um, I think what I'm excited about is um, we're introducing a new funding source where, you know, right now we are co-investing with VCs. We are very friendly and very much like participating in rounds with them. Um, but I think the 10% of VCs that we talked to, many of them who ultimately ended up joining our round, I think saw our potential to be a much bigger category um, in this vertical in the future, which is really exciting because we believe it also is is potentially a major competitor
0: to the VCs in the future. Now, within the the ecosystem that PIN has created, who's making the decisions on on where to allocate the money. Can you kind of walk me through the the details of, of how it works if you have a group um, like you know for example your your graduate school class like where does the money go who decides where it goes how is that decision made how is community a, a part of this from the start
1: our funds are very much like community oriented meaning that every single person actually has a vote in the underlying investments and this is very different than a traditional venture firm where you might be a limited partner where you put in money and then general partners and people at the firms make the decisions this is very much not like that it is you put in your own money and you very much have a say alongside everyone else in this um, vehicle about what the fund actually invests in. And so for us, um, for the grad school example, um, we had a very clear mandate up front of what we wanted to invest in. It was Stanford GSB classmates of ours raising from traditional venture firms of around over a certain size. And those were dictated by kind of the environment at the time, um, what was considered like a, a good bar to have so that we knew that we were deploying our money in responsible companies and, and all of that. But regardless of that, every single investment that gets put up to um, a vote is Um, very much voted on by every single member. There's no kind of like passive engagement in these vehicles. And so that's what makes it really, makes it really unique. Um, It's a very kind of like active investment. Um, It's a very celebratory event whenever we do make investments. And because people have those votes, um, people actually have extreme buy-in as well. So after we make the investment, people really do care. They want to get
0: involved. Um, And it becomes
1: more than just like a a passive check.
0: Yeah, I think that's that highlights one of the, the realities that hit me hardest when I started to really understand venture uh, as an industry and as a, a chain of events and a chain of incentives. Um, when we think about the example that is on my mind, I'm sure a lot of people's minds, um, Andreessen and Horowitz had a, just a giant fund to invest from. I think I don't quote, well, I say don't quote me on this as the host of this podcast. I will fact check this. <laughs> I think it was something like a $12 billion fund or, or some exorbitant amount of money that, that needed to be spent. Their LPs want that money to go somewhere. And so they needed a, a you know capital intensive investment, somebody who was willing to certainly spend and boys at Adam Newman but I never really thought about the fact that a lot of these LPs are just signing away their money and not really like thinking about it until I'm sure their like family office or their financial planner calls and says like hey by the way former Mayor Bloomberg or, you know, insert some rich person here, this is going to do XYZ this year. Um, And that is just a a reality, I think, for a lot of people who might not have operated within venture before. This money is not just printed. This money comes from other people, from other pension funds and resources and and insurance companies and what have you. Um, But that, to me, really leaves a lot on the table, to your point, when we talk about the way that people want to feel invested in their investments. They want to have some sort of ownership. They want to express that community. So how do you see that playing out with the kinds of businesses that are being invested in by these communities that are, are using PIN?
1: Yeah, I my hope is that you know we're starting off with groups, uh, like the biggest source of groups for sure on PIN right now are groups that have ties to tech, um, which is kind of a logical place for us to start. These are people who are familiar with it, who want to make angel investments, who um, are using PIN as kind of like their avenue for doing so. In the future, our goal is to have community clubs for groups of all sorts, like every geographical area, every single type of demographic, um, every kind of person, job, interests, etc. will have a community club where members of like-minded people who have a certain expertise can invest together in things. And I hope the result of that is that many different kinds of businesses will actually be funded. I think... I think to your point, thinking about venture and what's like wrong with venture in some ways is that I think a lot of people um, tend to invest in the same types of things or the same types of founders and call it, you know, pattern recognition because time is limited and it's much easier for people to kind of just double down on what's familiar with them and kind of like fish in the same pools versus, you know, making a lot of effort to source in new different places or learn about new ideas or um, companies serving different types of customers they might not be familiar with. Um, and what I'm hoping is that I truly believe that there's, you know, in the same way that there's something to learn from everyone, they're literally companies serving so many different types of demographics of people who all have like an expertise because they so much, or they so very much like understand and feel the problem that the company is solving, um, where like that expertise can be leveraged into financial gain because they can actually, they know the problem, they know it's a good business, and they can actually put their money to work to support the businesses that would directly help them as well. And I think um, having a world where you know that kind of funding is more accessible and not only will allow for more businesses and different kinds of businesses to flourish, but I think will hopefully open up the eyes of VCs as well by introducing kind of new competition into the into the funding fields. Like they're not the kind of de facto go to source anymore, um, and they'll actually have to prove their worth and like look outside their traditional circles.
0: I like that idea of the future. I think it sounds particularly bright, especially when you know the, the words pattern recognition really um, hit home. And I think that is one of the big frustrations that I have is as somebody who has operated in and around the startup space, it it is so real. This pattern recognition is so real. And I have to say I've, I've benefited from it. You know, I have on my resume that I worked at a successful startup and people recognize that I can do X, Y, Z things because of that. Um, and so it's not to say that it's totally inescapable, but I do think that if we become more aware of this pattern recognition and especially the places where it manifests the most toxically, uh, I think that we, we can really make a difference. Um, and that is, is really encouraging. Now I do have to ask the reason that, uh, a lot of of funds are seeking only accredited investors is because that just you know it it has an impact on the risk calculus that they have to do when participating in any sort of financial event so talk to me about the risks of you, you know non accredited or, or non traditional kinds of investors investing in deals that typically would would seek more accredited investors and i imagine this is where the the power and numbers part comes into play but tell me a little bit more about that risk and how you've approached it
1: totally so for our first problem when we first started our our fund back in school was like what vehicle can we even find that accepts um, unaccredited people at all? So the first one was more of like a legal requirement of like, can we actually even make this happen? And we basically found that um, the SEC actually recognizes a vehicle called the investment club that historically has allowed for unaccredited investors, but historically has been more under the radar and hasn't necessarily been used for startups. And so that was our starting point for even just opening the door for can we even make this kind of facilitation possible. Um, I think that risk, to your point, is, you know, um, something that we've also, you know, are wary of because we've seen kind of what's happened in crypto and Web3 when things go completely unregulated. And, you know, our intent is not just to grow as fast as we can and get, you know, any kind of volume of money that we can, um, but rather, you know, acknowledge this as like a category that we're, we're really kind of setting up for the future. And we want to do it responsibly by kind of like educating people along the way and very much making sure that people know when they're investing, what they're investing in, what the risks are, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, like startup investing is really risky. And there's a reason why there's kinds of regulations in place. Um, the thing I love about PIN is um, if you were to make an angel investment, assuming that you're accredited and have access and everything Um, Even if you were to make a direct angel investment in a company, typically like the check sizes that you're making individually are like five to 10K at the minimum. I mean, it's like a really big burden for most founders to take smaller check sizes than that. And so that's already a pretty big kind of, um, at least especially for me, (laughs) a pretty large um, exposure to a single company. The thing I love about PIN is that our average check size or sorry, our minimum check size is about three to five K. Uh, And with that, um, in this club, you get a full kind of investment of usually a dozen to 15 to 20 companies, depending on the size of the vehicle. And so to me, it's almost like a safer way of investing in early stage companies because you're for your check size of 3K or whatever it is that you choose, you get like an entire index along something that you're ideally really familiar with, right? People are pulled into these community clubs because they're part of this community. They know the people that are in it. They trust the, the kind of values and mission of those people. Um, and so it feels much more familiar. And so actually it's, it's been interesting too, that even people who are accredited have come to PIN and joined community funds, not just because of the access thing, they already have it, but more because of the education piece of it, it feels safe and trustworthy, et cetera. And so we like to mitigate the risk that way and feel like this is a great model especially for people who are doing it for the first time to to get involved
0: yeah definitely a powerful example to trust the other people who have voting power um i just mailed my absentee ballot and the the entire time i was just thinking like they make this pretty tough. <laughs> they make it tough for a reason, and I I was thinking about the you know the trust that we place in other people when we cast a vote for anything, like whether it's the you know county commissioner for my hometown or whether it's where we're going to allocate several thousand dollars. Right, that that trust is a, a really big factor. Um, now I I want to pivot for a second here to talk about, or to just mostly just get your perspective on something that um, I recently was thinking about. So. I wrote this email, like send it to my, whatever, this is not a newsletter plug, but if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, you can. I wrote a, (laughs) I wrote a newsletter recently after a long time about not, not writing, um, just about my, my frustration with, like I mentioned at the top of this conversation, uh, the investment that Adam Newman got from, uh, one of the, if not the most prestigious premier VCs, uh, that there is, uh, the largest check they'd ever written for an individual investment for somebody who has a proven track record of not being the best steward of capital. Um, and they, They invested in him specifically to the the point of him being a repeat founder. This brings up the pattern recognition, all sorts of these kind of structural systemic problems in venture that we've already talked about today. Uh, But somebody responded with a really interesting idea, which was that maybe the venture capitalists don't get that we can vote with our wallets first. And it got me thinking about what my life would be like if I didn't – like the I don't know, It's it adds all these layers of complexity, but how would my life as a consumer and somebody who exists in a capitalist framework change if I did decide to vote with my wallet, right? If I was like, I don't agree with oh, Mark right. Andreessen's thesis on this founder and this investment. And so I'm going to try to not... Like buy anything that he's ever invested in. I'm not going to use some SaaS product. Like it's really impossible to totally extricate ourselves from these systems that have been set up. Um, and so I was just curious what you think about that. You know, within the the kind of context and framework of using your vote because it matters and and investing with like-minded people and investing often based on um, theses that have come together from disparate parts of the world to like have some larger common mission and that idea of ownership. Do you think it's possible to vote with our wallets against a venture system that we don't necessarily agree with or, or one that doesn't serve us specifically?
1: Yeah, I, that resonates so much. I think yeah, I think speaking to our name, power and numbers, I think our, our whole ethos and mission as a company is we're trying to align, we're trying to better align founders with people who really care about what they're actually building um, mm-hmm. and who we believe can actually provide more value add um, than the average like institutional investor. Um, and this is kind of going back to what I talked about earlier with like uh, me being mm-hmm. really inspired by Web3 and how they've really gone community first and they raising, you know, raising from their true believers and how they're almost like free from, you um, I don't know, the whims of traditional venture investors, right? They don't have to follow like what they think is cool or not. They're very much kind of building for their community. And I think this alignment now of being able to like open up different capital sources and allowing founders to raise from more diverse people or people who actually believe and understand what they're doing um, without the kind of like restrictions that VC imposes is very much like a powerful thing that I hope you can kind of continue to build in the future. Um, and I think the other, like, as you're talking, I think the other thing that really strikes me is like founders themselves, I think also have, a lot of power too, um, like something that I've been really kind of inspired by is like a lot of my peers who are raising from institutional VCs. Some of them now, especially the ones in the, I'd say like the top you know, 5% who have the privilege of having multiple offers and things like that, um, seeing them hold VC institutions accountable um, by like literally choosing who they go with based on how they feel that firm is deploying capital or not, or the types of people that they're supporting, how diverse their teams are, et cetera, is really inspiring. So I think there's a lot of different players in the ecosystem that can really promote this change and I totally agree with you that consumers are a really big part of that and I hope that pin is a vehicle for people to do that in the future.
0: Yeah I, I think that is an incredible way of looking at it too you know that um, there is a certain amount of responsibility for those people who have made it to that top rung of the ladder um, to be discerning with what you do and don't ex, uh, accept and I know that I can say this from where I from where I am literally sitting on the floor. <laughs> You know, I am I am in no means close to that position. But um, I think that it's at least something that we can we can speak about more publicly and more honestly. Um, And I enjoy conversations like this, especially for that reason. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to rail against venture capital as an entire industry. I have a lot of friends who work in this space who are incredible people with incredibly bright minds and um, are passionate and and honest and transparent and trying to do their best to make a better world, like to quite literally carve out a better world from nothing. Um, and that's awesome. And, and I don't want to by any means suggest that that should not exist. But I do think that there's a better approach. And I think that there's a better model, um, especially for those people who are in that top rung of the ladder. So with that, I would love to just hear your your thoughts on what the future of VC as a whole looks like in the coming years, Um, knowing that PIN will disrupt and and enter as this force (laughs) for for good and like the power in numbers and all of this is obviously very important. But beyond just that and beyond just what you have planned for PIN for the next several years, what do you see as the future of venture as we move into kind of the near and medium terms?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's been interesting to see venture. Um, it's been many years since I've been in it, but it's interesting to see the kind of same patterns emerge. Um, people talk about how it's very cyclical, not only in terms of like investing booms and busts, but I think sentiments about things in general. Tend to change, like for example, seed investing becomes really cool, and then it becomes like way too cumbersome for people because they need to deploy more capital. Lots of things like that that I think come in and out of favor. Um, even seeing people follow different trends, Web three becomes really interesting to invest in, Then it's not cool anymore. Then it's creator economy. Then it's something else, you know. Um, so for me, I think the future of venture um, is going to require some like permanent change, I think, or. In order to do that, I think it's kind of all these things that you mentioned, right? It's like increased competition from other funding sources, which I hope PIN is a huge part of. Um, I think it's change that we're seeing from all sides, whether it's pressure from founders, um, awesome groups like All Raise and other groups who are trying to change uh, the diversity of decision makers, things like that. And so I'm generally optimistic that venture will become um, like a more open, inclusive, um, and thoughtful kind of industry. Um, And I think the intent is there, but I think to your point, there's a lot of like, different incentive systems at play that are preventing people from necessarily doing the things that they, they say they want to do more out of practicality because of, say, limited time or, or not wanting to put in that extra effort. And so I'm, I'm positively um, looking at the future with all these different dynamics happening and hoping that it, it moves that way. Um, but I have also seen kind of like the back and forth of temporary change and then, you know, diverting back. And so I'm hopeful for a more kind of permanence going forward.
0: Definitely. And what you just said, I think totally spoke to, and this is like maybe a a full circle moment as we kind of wrap up here, but the entire thinking that I had with starting thinking is cool is that I wanted to like do what I could do to try to speak truth to some of these issues that like most bother me or that don't bother me at all, but really should. Like when I get on my silly little newsletter and like type out a quick thousand words about how shitty it is that Adam Newman got this check, like that is sure what I can do. But I think at the end of the day, it's also just this kind of like generality and um, to actually solve the problem, to actually create something that is better than the reality that we have today, we have to solve from that practicality route. We have to create different avenues for deploying cap- capital. We have to create different means of of raising funds and investing in the people that we most believe in. So I appreciate Pin's approach to like rethinking what the actual practical reality is for investing, and I'm really excited to see where it goes next. Um, I'm really grateful for your time too, Steph. This has been absolutely wonderful, uh, and I look forward to to watching Pin grow. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Kenzie. I'm so excited.